Let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you so much. Father, we're so thankful that we live in a free country that we can come to this place and worship you openly, that we can sing praises to you, Father, that we can, we can, we can lift up your name. Father, we also want to lift up your words. Father, I pray that during this, this time, that this, this message that I bring, Father, I, I pray that you, you give me clarity of mind and clarity of thought and, and give me the words that you would have me to speak to this, these people here today. Father, I pray that you would also work on all of our hearts, soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to be able to see your word in a way that maybe we've never seen it before, but most of all, to see it clearly, to understand it and to apply it to our lives. We love you, Father. We cherish everything that you've given us, all the good gifts that you've given us in life. And Father, we also cherish your word. And Father, we cherish your gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for being here with us. We ask that you you guide this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in your bulletin, you'll notice an insert that I typed up this week to give you. We are journeying our way through the Bible this year. A daunting task for a man like myself who... Well, we spent three years going through Mark. <laughs> I think we spent three years going through the book of Mark, and then, you know, this pendulum swings one way, and then it swings the other, and so this year our goal is to get through the entire Bible just this year. Um, I wanted to give you all a little summation. Obviously, it's not very detailed, but just, just a little something as a reminder, something you can have, and, and then place you can write notes on the back of just kind of where we are in the story of that God has given us his story, our story, the story of history. It started off with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. And we see, well, we see pretty much everything in the very beginning chapters of the Bible. We see all the elements. We see see creation. We see uh, the fall. We see promise of redemption. We see all these different elements. But but the main thing that we see here in the story of Adam and Eve and then in their, their sons, Cain, Cain, and Abel, we see sin, how sin entered the picture of this world and how it brings death. It always brings death. The wages of sin is death. <laughs> First, we saw that God created everything, and because God created everything, which includes us and our souls, we owe our entire existence to Him. We owe everything about ourselves to God. He brought us into existence. He made us. He gave us life. We are here because He gave you existence, and therefore you owe everything you are and everything you have to Him. Sin results in death, and God gave Cain a warning that he intends to give all of us that sin is crouching at our door and its desires to have us, but we must rule over it. God gave us a command that we must fight against sin. We must struggle against temptation that we cannot just give in to it. Then we saw, as we move a little bit further along, we saw Enoch, how he walked with God and was taken from God, And so we saw that God does save people from death, this idea that you can be saved from death. And then more fully it was explained in, the, in a few verses later, beginning with Noah. Noah, we see two very important things that we, we need to take away, is that with the worldwide flood, we see that God will judge sin, and He will judge the entire world for sin. That means that every single one of us will, be, will face judgment before God because of sin. 
And that the other important thing that we saw through Noah's salvation on the ark is that salvation, because it said that Noah was a, a blameless man among his contemporaries. He was righteous. He walked in righteousness. And so we see a little bit more of this, this furtherance of this idea. We saw a little hint with Enoch. It said that Enoch walked with God and he was saved from death. And then we get a little bit more detail with Noah. Just a few verses later, it said Noah walked with God and that he was blameless. So we see what his walk looked like. He walked in righteousness. So we see a little bit of a building on this idea of how one can be saved. It's not complete yet, but it's a building of the idea. How can I escape death? Because the people at this time would have been begging to know this question. We saw that Enoch was saved. We saw that Noah was saved. How can we be saved? And so they're looking at Enoch and they're looking at Noah and what they're seeing is that they're walking with God in righteousness. But it continues to build as we move to Abraham, who's next. Abraham was a man who also walked in righteousness, but we're given a clear, descript explanation of how it was that Abraham was promised salvation, that he was declared righteous through his faith. So we see the full picture now. It was, we got a hint with Enoch, we got a little bit more building with Noah, and then we got the full picture with Abraham. You're saved by walking in righteousness through faith, because you can't do it any other way. And so we have to make sure that we're clear on this when we get to see Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob, and then, of of course, then Joseph, we see a promise is given. And so we see hope is given of a promise, a future, a day of restoration, a day of salvation, a hope and a promise is given. And then we move to Moses. After the 400 years, Joseph Joseph and his family moves to, to Egypt. They become slaves over a period of 400 years. And then after the 400 years, we see Moses. God calls Moses to call his people out of Egypt. And this is something that he had to make sure that we understood is that he, gave, he saved us first. He saved the, the, the Israelites first. He saved them and set them free. Then he offered them a covenant relationship with them at Mount Sinai. So you're... He, he did the saving work first, and then he offered the covenant relationship that you could live in that sa- salvation relationship with him. And this is what we see with Moses, is that you can't, salvation comes, or we obey God because he saves us. We cannot be saved through our obedience. It doesn't work the other way around. See, because God saved the Israelites from Egypt, they chose to obey him. And it's the same way with us. Because God has already done the salvation work through Jesus Christ, which we could not do and never could do, because he has offered us that opportunity of salvation, therefore we obey him. It does not work the other way around. You cannot walk in righteousness good enough, no matter how righteous you ever become, you cannot walk in enough righteousness to earn your salvation. It can't happen. That's what we saw about Noah. He said he was blameless among his contemporaries, which means, if I think I'm, I would be correct here by saying he was the most blameless man on the face of the planet. He was blameless among all the people at his time, during his time. So God chose the most blameless man on the planet to start over, showed him clearly, this is what happens when you live in sin. He judged everyone because of it. Noah knew he saved him, and immediately he began to sin as soon as he got off the ark. Even the most blameless person on the planet cannot be good enough to earn and and deserve salvation. So after Moses, we see 
we went into Joshua, the book of Joshua, we see this idea of faith and obedience and devotion. With Joshua, we, we, I listed a few verses here, one from the New Testament, Hebrews. Um, now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one, who believes, draw, believes, the one who draws near to him must also believe that he exists. Hebrews 11, 6. It is impossible to please God without faith. We saw in Joshua 1, 8 and 9, where he said, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You're to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything that's written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. That you must take this word, take God's word, and you must study it, you must meditate on it, and you must follow it. You must devote yourself to God. You must devote yourself to his word. And then Joshua 24, 14, 15, one of, probably one of the most famous verses, says, Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, then choose for yourselves today which will you worship. The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. See, that is the summation of Joshua, is that we will devote ourselves to the Lord because you have to choose who are you going to devote yourselves to some other God wealth power money yourself or Yahweh the Lord God we will devote ourselves to Yahweh then after Joshua we entered into the period of judges where we see that they absolutely did the exact opposite the period of the judges, we see that everybody did, Judges 21, 25, everyone did whatever seemed right to him. The last verse of the, of the book. It is a book of just bloodshed and, and, and double crossing and, and just lawlessness. And that's what God shows us, that th- this idea of what, what life looks like when we do not devote ourselves to God. We see anarchy and lawlessness, and the results is death. And then we move to Naomi and Ruth, the book of Ruth, and we see a story of redemption. And not just a story of redemption for Naomi, who was a Jew, but also for Ruth, who was a Gentile. So the book of Ruth shows us this promise and the story of redemption we have here for Jews and Gentiles. That God's message that Israel was to be a light to the nations has been from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Nation was set apart to point all the other nations to God. And that was their mission, to devote themselves to God and to show the rest of the world how they can then come to God. And so then we, last week we talked about Hannah and Eli and Samuel. And again, we are on that topic of devotion to the Lord and how Hannah devoted herself to the Lord and gave up what was most precious to her, her son, that she was not able to have children for a long time, and it broke her heart and grieved her, finally was able to have a son and gave him up to the temple to serve the Lord all his life. She was wholly devoted to God over her, her, her children, whereas she was contrasted with Eli, who would not do what was right in God's house because of his children. He was more devoted to his children than he was to God. And so again, that picture of devotion. What you're going to notice as we journey through the Old Testament is these big concepts 
in the very beginning. They're brought into the story. And then as you move throughout the books and the stories of the Bible, each concept is dealt with in more detail and more detail and more detail. It builds on the beginning concepts which were all introduced in, the, in Genesis. <clears throat> and it just points to the fact that this word is inspired, written by over 40 different people on three different continents and three different languages over a period of about 1,500 years. A story this well-developed from beginning to end could only have been written by one very intelligent person, and that's true, God. His hand has been in it from the very beginning to the very end. This is not a human effort or a human creation. So we get today where we're still in 1 Samuel, and we do really do need to start moving along, but we just can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm trying, but I just can't skip some of these things. Today we're in... Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, where Saul is chosen as Israel's king. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and I'll have it up on the, on the screen if, if you don't have yours to follow along. 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 1. When Samuel grew old, now Samuel was the prophet at this time. This was Hannah's son, who, who was a prophet. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. Oh, sorry. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. When they said, Give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me. Since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. See, here's the, here's the gist of the story here. Israel did not have a king. Well, they didn't have an earthly king. They did have a king. It was God himself. And that's how God desired it to be. God would be their king. But they abandoned God. Because, see, they wanted a king to rule over them. They did want a king to rule over them, but they didn't want God as their king. That was the important difference. They wanted a different king. They, let's, let's, let's continue reading. In verse 9, Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. So this is, this is God saying, look, Samuel, warn the people. They're asking for an earthly king. Warn them, this is what the king is going to do to them. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. 
He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men, and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. What, when that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. Samuel listened to all the people's words and then repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them, the Lord told Samuel. Appoint a king for them. Then Samuel told the men of Israel, Each of you, go back to your city. See, the truth is, they would have obeyed one king or another. God or man. They could live with great freedom under God, but they're going to live under great oppression under a man as their king. And for what? For what? So that they could have a king just like the other nations that would judge them, go out before them, and fight their battles. But see, God already had a system in place to judge them. They could bring their cases before God himself through the priests. God already went out before them. God himself fought their battles. The things that they were asking the king for. And look at the miracles and victories he had already accomplished for them. So why give up the God of the universe as your king in order to have a mere sinful, weak human as your king. Because they had already abandoned God as their king. God was not leading them into battle against their enemies anymore because they were not being faithful to him. God told them. So instead of repent of the idolatry and the wickedness and the sinful ways that they lived in, and have God himself lead them as their king, they would rather indulge in their sinfulness and have a human king as their leader. They chose to hold on to their sins and live, and live oppressed than to turn from their sins and be free. So God gave them a king that they were looking for, a huge man who would lead them into battle, And who would tolerate sin. But it would come at a cost. 1 Samuel 9, 1 and 2. There was a a prominent man of Benjamin named Kish, son of Abel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphia, son of a Benjamite. But he had a son named Saul. He was an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. I know some folks like that. Saul was an impressive, impressive man. Impressive. (laughs) 
Saul wandered away because his, his father's donkeys, won, donkeys wandered off. So Saul went after him, and that's when he met Saul. Remember that story last week when I, I read to you Saul's um, encounter with Samuel? He wandered off after the donkeys, and he met Samuel. And Samuel tells him that God has chosen him to be Israel's king. 1 Samuel 10, 9 through 16, we read what happens. When Saul turned around to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all the signs came about that day. And don't miss that. God has the power to change hearts. And it's true for every one of you who have embraced him and have received the Holy Spirit as, as, as your salvation, your promise of salvation. God has changed your heart, and he's changed mine. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he prophesied along with them. Everyone who knew him previously and saw him prophesy with the prophets asked each other, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man who was from there asked, And who is their father? As a result, is Saul also among the prophets became a popular saying. Then Saul finished prophesying and went to the high place. Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, Where did you go? To look for the donkeys, Saul answered. When we saw that they weren't there, we went to Samuel. Tell me, Saul's uncle asked, What did Samuel say to you? Saul told him, He assured us the donkeys had been found. However, Saul did not tell him what Samuel had said about the matter of kingship. Saul didn't say anything about being king because he was afraid. He didn't want to be king. And that's what we're about to see. 1 Samuel 10, 17 to 27. Samuel summoned the people, uh, the, Samuel summoned the people to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the Israelites, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel out of Egypt, and I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. Now, don't miss this story. Don't zone out. I want you to tune in to these words, because God is telling them how good a king he has been to them. Okay? God is saying, oh, you want somebody to lead you into battle. You want somebody to go before you. You want somebody to rule over you as king. Let me just tell you your history in case you forgot. I brought you out. I brought Israel out of Egypt. And I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your troubles and afflictions. You said to him, you must set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. Samuel had all the tribes of Israel come forward and the tribe of Benjamin was selected. Then he had the tribe of Benjamin come forward by its clans, and the Matrite clan was selected. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was selected. But when they searched for him, they could not find him. They again inquired of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? The Lord replied, about their king, by the way, that they chose. There he is, hidden among the supplies. This was the king that was going to lead them into battle. They ran and got him from there. When he stood among the people, he stood a head taller than anyone else. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the one the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the entire population. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Samuel proclaimed to the people the rights of kingship again. 
He wrote them on a scroll, which he placed in the presence of the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people home. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, and brave men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But some wicked men said, How can this guy save us? They despised him and did not bring him a gift. But Saul said nothing. Saul was afraid. Saul hid. He was trembling. He was hiding. But did you see what God did for Saul? He sent brave men with him, home with him, to surround him and encourage him. That's what Saul needed. Saul was going to be king. Israel had demanded a king. And Saul was afraid to be king. He was was scared. So God surrounded him with brave men who would go home with him, encourage him, lift him up, talk about their war stories and tell him, oh, he's got, all, he, he, he's got everything it takes to be king. And they, they would be with him and they would surround him in battle. God is always, he always gives us what we need, when we need it. But even though God is faithful, we are not. 1 Samuel 12, 6 through 25, Then Samuel said to the people, the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron who, and who brought your ancestors up from the land of Egypt is a witness. Now present yourself so I, may, so I may confront you before the Lord about all the righteous acts he has done for you and your ancestors. When Jacob went to Egypt, your ancestors cried out to the Lord and he sent them Moses and Aaron who led your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he handed them over to Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, to the Philistines and to the king of Moab. These enemies fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, for we abandoned the Lord and worshiped the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Now rescue us from the power of your enemies, and we will serve you, our enemies, and we will serve you. So the Lord sent Jerubbabel, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. He rescued you from the power of the enemies around you, and you lived securely. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was coming against you, you said to me, No, we must have a king reign over us, even though the Lord your God is your king. And so Samuel calls him out. He says, All of these people God has rescued you from. God took two men. Moses and Aaron, and, and rescued the entire Israelite people from Pharaoh and his entire chariot, horsemen and, and, and army. And through the period of the judges, he sent one judge after another judge after another judge to rescue you every time that you cried out to him. But now Nahash, king of the Ammonites, decides he's going to come against you and you no longer want anything to do with God rescuing you as your king. You want a human king that you can see that you think is going to lead you into victory against the Ammonites. Now here's the king you've chosen, the one you requested. Look, this is the king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord... Worship and obey him. And if you don't rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. 
Now, therefore, present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord and he will send thunder and rain so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. Samuel called on the Lord and on that day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. They pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we won't die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. Samuel replied, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. I wanted to stop so many times through that passage and just talk about how beautiful that passage is to us. But even as after Israel's idolatry, even after their idolatry, abandoning God to worship false gods and their lack of faith that God could save them, and their absolute rejection of God as their king in favor of a man as their king, when Samuel first pleaded with them to not abandon God as their king, even after all of that, God still pursued them in order to forgive them. Still. God was determined, the scripture said, God was determined to make Israel his own people. He was determined to do so. And he is just as determined to make you one of his own. Just as determined. He loves you like no one has ever loved you. And no one will ever be able to love you like God loves you. No one has ever pursued anyone like God has and is pursuing you today. The question is, have you decided, have you committed, have you determined to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have you determined to pursue Him like He pursues you? If you look at Israel's history, it's, our, it's all of our history. But if you look at, at, at how much Israel rebelled against God, and if you seriously, seriously consider the fact that if you were God, you would have given up on Israel. You would have done away with the people. You would. Because you would have you would be in a position of complete 
power. No one, anything you say, anything you do, nobody has anything, can do anything about it. You can do whatever you want to do. But that's because we are fallen. We can't even comprehend the love that God has. A faithful love. A a forever love. A never-ending, never-dying love. That says, "I, I love you. And I know what awaits you. Because he's also a just and holy God. And he doesn't sweep sin under the rug. And he gives every one of us a choice. There's no such thing as universalism. Everybody's not going to end up in heaven forever. No matter who they are. It's not true. God has given us a choice while we're on this earth. And we get one life. Reincarnation doesn't exist. You don't just keep coming back and keep coming back until you get it right. You get one chance. God said it is appointed to every man to die once and then to face the judgment. And God knew we couldn't do it. And we don't have what it takes. So he did it all. He did it all. He did everything so that we could be forgiven. And then he extends the offer to us. Just like he saved Israel, he did it all. He did all the saving. He saved Israel from Egypt. He did it all. And then on Mount Sinai, they were free. That's what some people miss when they're reading the Scriptures. God said he set them free, the Scripture says. He set them free. They're now in, in the wilderness. Do whatever they want to. He set them free. Then he offered the covenant relationship with himself. And that's what he does with us. He's done all the saving. He's come and paid all the price. Jesus paid the price. Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven. We are now free to choose. Do we want to enter a covenant relationship with God or not? God said that he will never allow you to be tempted more than you're able to handle. Remember that? A lot of people use it and say, God will never give you more than you can bear. They're usually talking about hardship and struggle. You know, he gives me so much hardship, he must think I'm a really strong person, I can handle it. It has nothing to do with hardship. It has nothing to do with hard times in life. It's about temptation. That's, that's what the Scripture is about, temptation to sin. God says he'll never allow you to be tempted to sin more than you can handle. And with every, he'll put, he, hedges, he puts a hedge around you, and with every temptation, he provides you a way of escape. What does that verse mean? It means that you, living on this earth, are going to be tempted by three things. You know what those three things are? Satan, his demons, that's one. The world, the the power, the seduction, all the things of the world, and your flesh. Those are the three things. Satan, the world, and the flesh. And God says... I've put limits and hedges on all three of those things for every single one of you your entire life. I will never allow any three of those, separate or combined, to tempt you more than I've given you the ability to say no. And with every chance, I've also provided a way for you to escape that temptation. Isn't that beautiful? And I always talk about it as a double-edged sword. It's got a good side and a bad side. The good side is... God is protecting you every moment of every day for the rest of your life, and he'll never allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. I've heard, he said, talk about people being tempted by Satan. 
himself. You know, Satan can only, he's just an angelic being. He can only be at one place at one time. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He can't be everywhere at one time. He's just a fallen angel. He can only be at one place at one time, which is why typically when people say Satan made me do it, or Satan tempted me, I think, I don't think he's in Yatesville. I really don't. I think he's somewhere, a lot bigger places, a lot more important things to be working on. He's got demons here, though. That's no, I'm not denying that. But here's the thing. The good is he'll never allow you to be tempted more than you can handle, including Satan. Okay? My, my pastor friend said, if Satan never tempts you, you're done. You'll, you'll give in every time. Well, that's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches he will never allow you to be tempted more than you can handle, and he'll give you a way of escape with every, every situation. So even Satan himself, if he tempts you, God's still going to provide a way of escape, and he's still going to put a hedge between Satan and you. We see that in the book of Job. Okay? But the other side is, the guilty side, is that when you do sin, it's your fault. That's the, that's the other side of that promising sword. The one promise is God is hedging you in and protecting you and giving you everything you need not to sin, which is beautiful, and we need that when we struggle. Trust me, we need that when we're struggling in temptation. But the other side is our responsibility. Because of that, whenever we sin, we have to own responsibility for our sin. We can't blame it on someone else. We can't blame it on Satan. We can't blame it on anything else. We can't blame it on God and say, well, he didn't give me enough desire to overcome this. That's the worst offense of them all, is to blame the one who's protecting you. We have to take responsibility. And so we are being given the same choice. God has given every person freedom to choose. He's done the saving work. He set us free. Here's the freedom to choose. Do we choose Him? Do we choose wholehearted devotion to Him? Do we choose to love Him with all we are? Or do we choose to say, I don't want Him to be my King. I want to live in a situation in which I pick my own king, one who tolerates my sin. Because that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is when you make up a false god that you're willing to worship as opposed to the real god that you're not willing to worship. That is the root of idolatry. I will make up a god who allows me to live the way I want to live. Because I don't want God as my king. And that is the plight of the entire human race. We must choose. Do we want to submit to God as our king or not? And you have the choice. And you have the ability to choose. And I plead, if if everyone in this room has already made that choice, the angels in, in heaven have rejoiced at every single one of your decisions. But even if you have, you know someone who hasn't. And I pray for you to pick one person that you know of that hasn't and pray for them every single day and pray that God gives you an opportunity for that person, for you to move into that person's life and speak that that message of love and salvation from God and opportunity for them to be saved. But while you're here today, if anyone in this room has not made that decision to give themselves wholeheartedly to God, I beg you and I plead you, to do not leave this place without making that decision right now. There's nothing more important than you knowing in your heart that I have committed my life to God as my king and I trust him for my salvation. God told us through the, the apostle John 
I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you are saved. I've written these things to you who believe in Jesus Christ so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you not going to be, but are saved. And so I'm begging and pleading with you, do you know that you are saved? Because God says you can know. God said you can know. And for anybody to tell you you can't know is politely arrogance. To say, that I know that's what God said, but I know better. I know God said you can know, but I'm telling you you can't. As, as politely as I can put that, that's arrogance and pride. If God said you can know, you can know. And he wrote, he wrote the whole book so that you could know. He said, I wrote all these things so you can know. Go home and read First John. But he said you can know. And so that's the most important thing today. That everyone in this place knows that they are saved, washed by the blood of Christ. Knows that they can't do anything to earn their forgiveness, can't do anything to be right with God, but that they just have to humble themselves and submit to what God has already done for them and just beg Him and just say, I want you as my king. I want to be forgiven. I want a relationship with you forever. That's what I want. And God has promised that is what he will do. Do you know? Let's pray together. Father, we could thank you every second of every day for the rest of our lives. We wouldn't come anywhere close to thanking you enough for what you have done for us, for your great love for us, that you have loved us so much that you were willing to leave your throne in heaven, come to this earth, put on human flesh, live a perfect life, and die as a perfect substitutionary sacrifice for our sins so that you could face the wrath of your Father as the penalty and payment of sin on our behalf. Because God, the Father, we know that you cannot overlook sin. You are just and holy, and therefore our sins must be punished. We are thankful that you took our punishment in our place so that you would not have to compromise your justice, but yet you could also offer us forgiveness. Father, I pray that there's not a single person in this room that has not wholly committed their lives to you. But if they haven't, and they want to do that right now, Father, I pray that from their heart, they confess that they want you to be their king. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord is a, a word that means master. It could easily just as well be related to king, one who rules over us. The scripture says that if we confess you as the one who rules over us and believe in our heart that you raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And so, Father, I pray that every single person in this place has either asked you right now to save them. Father, save me. I want you. Save me. Forgive me. Or that they've done it already in their life and that they're going to ask, Father, I want to I just commit myself wholly to you. From this day forward, I, I, I want to serve you with everything I've got. 
And Father, we trust you. We trust your word. And we trust that you will save us. Father, I also pray for those that we all know. Everyone in this room knows someone that's not saved. Father, I pray that everyone in this room, that you lay at least one person on their heart to pray for in earnest every day and to reach out to and to talk with and have conversation with to try to lead them to Christ. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I pray God's word has encouraged you today. I pray that it's given you hope. And Father, that it, and that it will give you hope um, in times when you need it. Um, to remember how Israel just openly rejected God as their king. Samuel, through God, said, Samuel told Israel, do not do this thing. God is your king. Do not do this. And they said, give us a king. And then in response, God said, okay, I'll give you a king, but I'm not going to stop pursuing you. And I'm not going to stop offering my forgiveness to you. And I'm going to beg and plead with you to turn your heart back to me. And if you do, I will give you all the promises that I I promised you. If you don't, I won't. It's your choice. And so I, I, I pray that every single one of you know what choice that you've made. Every single person here. He has given us a choice to love him with all our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, help us to love you more every day. Help us to serve you as our king wholeheartedly. Give us opportunities to see your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. We want to see what your kingdom would look like with you as our king and we as your people storming this nation. Father, help us do that. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.